Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, Tribeca. Welcome to the conversation. I am Tommy Weber. We have a great show tonight. A lot going on as it gets a little cooler here in New York City. Fall is upon us. And of course, that always means playoff and World Series time. And there's a lot to talk about uh, with the playoffs right now. It looks right now like it could be a Dodger Red Sox World Series. Still enough to be played so that anything can happen. It's why you never bet on baseball because anything can and usually does happen. Tonight, there's a matchup that certainly favors the Houston Astros. You've got one of the great playoff pitchers and a future Hall of Famer in Justin Verlander going up against one of the worst playoff pitchers in David Price. So uh, if all things fall to suit, the Red Sox will beat up on Justin Verlander and uh, go to the World Series because you just never know what's going to happen. And I love how everybody is such so quick to predict. They must really not know a lot about history. But if you know anything about this game and you've been watching it long enough, you know, as my father used to always say, that's why they play the game. Never bet on this game because anything can happen. And I'm never surprised by whatever the results are. The Red Sox could beat up Verlander. Verlander can throw a two-hitter and go eight or nine innings. Anything can happen in this game. That's why it's the greatest game. Uh, A couple of things that have come out of the playoffs. Uh, Again, instant replay rearing its ugly head. I think that baseball has opened the Pandora's box with instant replay. And I don't know if they could put the genie back in the bottle. I think it's going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be difficult to ever walk back in instant replay. It's like any other regulating. It's almost impossible to not over-regulate. And when in doubt, I think baseball is going to add more and more and more instant replay rather than really take a look at the entire process and see where it is. Maybe they can pare down these delays in the game. I love watching playoff baseball. There's nothing like it. It's not like the regular season. Every inning counts, every pitch counts. Every single subtle nuance has something to do with perhaps the outcome of the game, the season, and the World Series. But I have to say this. It's tough to watch when every time a play is made that's close, the first thing you're thinking about is not the next play as you would if you were a player, coach, or manager, but something that is almost, it's it's counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's this artificial a delay in the game that has been imposed upon the viewer, the player, the fan. And I got to say it, it's tougher and tougher to watch. You know, I only have so much of an attention span and I don't come from the video age. So my attention span is pretty long and I don't mind a long game if it's a game filled with action. I'm not one who thinks the strikeout is the worst thing in the world that's ever happened. I understand it's a trend in the game now and it's a cycle and it'll probably cycle out at some point and contact will come back into vogue. I'm fine with that. But This has nothing to do with baseball. This is an artificial delay that's imposed upon the game, the viewer, the fan, and the player. I I just, I can't imagine that if you're a player, this is something you don't say to yourself, geez, if I'm a pitcher, 
especially a pitcher whose entire game is based on rhythm, is based on getting on a roll. He wants to get the ball. When a pitcher's going good, he wants the ball in his hand. He wants to throw it to a catcher as soon as he possibly can. This is the kind of thing, I, I, I mean, I, I know we measure everything nowadays, but I don't think you could measure the impact that these delays have on the game. I think baseball has a real problem. I think the play at second base, shortstop second baseman getting uh, bowled over should be illegal, but you should be able to make contact. The second baseman and shortstop should be part of being a great second baseman or shortstop is that when you're in the middle of the double play, you're able to get out of the way of a sliding runner. The runner shouldn't be able to barrel you over. He shouldn't be able to spike you, but I'm no Manny Machado fan, but if I'm one thing, I'm objective and there's no love lost between me and Manny Machado, but on a couple of those plays where he slides into second base, in w- on one play, he puts his hand up for a reason that nobody mentioned. The first thing you w- worry about when you slide into second base is you don't want to get kicked in the head. So he puts his hand up and he makes contact with the knee of the shortstop so that he makes sure that that knee doesn't kick him in the head. Is he a dirty player? I don't know. Was the play at first base a dirty play? Yes. But with respect to the play at second base, you have to give some latitude to the runner so that you challenge the second baseman or the shortstop to get out of the way. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't think it sh- they should be fair game infielders, but you should be able to challenge gifted players to show you all of their skills. I think the fan is being cheated out of seeing some of the greatest stuff that you could see in the middle of the field. These acrobatic infielders who have incredible athleticism. I really do think that this rule is cheating people out of something that's very, very entertaining. Anyway, that's my rant. We'll move on from there. I could go on more, <laughs> but I won't. My guest is too good. Um, in my tenure as the manager of the Staten Island Tide and the ACBL, I came across a lot of really, really I was very fortunate. Uh, we had some, we had a great run for seven years and it was, it was lots of fun and we won and into championship games and had a lot of guys drafted and a couple of guys make the big leagues. And, um, but the most important thing is I, I had a lot of really great guys and guys who became friends of mine and we stayed in touch. And the most gratifying thing about managing and coaching is the degree to which your players stay in touch with you. I mean, that's really what it's all about. I always say to my guys, you know, there's not going to be a parade up the Canyon of Heroes if we win, but if we do something together that's meaningful and we get closer, well, this could be a friendship for the rest of our lives. Well, my guest is just that. Uh, Matt Festa, um, kid out of St. Joseph by the Sea on Staten Island, first uh, out of high school, went to Dominican College, then went to East Stroudsburg College, then in 2015, 16, 16, 16. Uh, was selected in the seventh round by the Seattle Mariners. Um, I remember exactly where I was. I was driving home from the golf course when I called Matt the day he was drafted. And he was absolutely, of course, giddy uh, about going so high in the seventh round. And I believe that Matt is one of the three pitchers I saw have their coming out party. And I'll get into that later on. But I want to welcome my buddy, Matt Festa. How are you, pal? I'm great. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Pretty good introduction there, right? Yeah, that was was perfect. I'll do anything for 20 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) So you look great. Uh, It's great to have you. Welcome home. I know you're not home for long, only a few days, and you're back out to Arizona uh, where you're going to be training. Um, tell me, uh, I, we'll go over the call to the big leagues in a little bit, but I, 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 a lot of people listen and a lot of people ask me to, to talk to kids and to coaches and to teams. So what I'd really like to do, you didn't go to a name brand school, right? Um, one of the things I remember vividly about you was... Um, more so than other guys, your dedication to your conditioning. That was evident when you pitched for me for two years in 2013 and 14. Uh, you then went on and won it all in the Coastal Plains League, yeah. right? 
which I, I don't think is a coincidence. Um, I, I think winning is important. I've always said this about Zach Granite, you know, going from Tottenville City Championship, Big East Championship at Seton Hall, Championship in the ACBL. That's not a coincidence. That I know we can't measure that uh, scientifically, but there's something to be said for guys that win. And when you won in the Coastal Plains League, I took note of that. And and I took note of it because when you were with me, winning was really important to you. And it's not to say that winning isn't important to every kid, but it's not as important. And your your quiet leadership was manifest by your desire to win when you were pitching or when somebody else was pitching. As a young guy, you know, you're 19, 20, 21, whatever you were at that time, tell me what's the genesis of that? Where does that come from? Looking back now, where do you think that comes from? Um, I think that attitude came from, A, obviously the desire to, to never lose. I hated losing more than I loved winning, but uh, I grew a close bond with my teammates and every team I went to, and that was aspired at practice and hanging out after, but I just wanted to see them do just as well as I wanted to do myself. It was kind of just an envisionment I wanted for everybody. We call that makeup. Yeah. Right. That's what's called makeup. And that's, and, and I think I'd like you to speak to that because I think people think progressing in the game is contingent solely upon how hard I throw, how fast I run, how far I hit it, all the things that you could easily measure that anybody could see. Somebody who's never watched a baseball game could see a guy who throws really hard or see a guy who hits the ball really far or a guy who runs really fast. Uh, I've always said my sister could scout that guy, you know. Um, Talk to me about, now that you're a big leaguer, how important makeup is as you see it now as a major league player. I think I even got to experience how important it was through the minor leagues as I came up with the Mariners. You know, I played with guys who all didn't go to big name colleges, weren't high draft picks, except for, you know, a couple, but most of us were kind of no-name prospects, and I won. I got to the championship, or I won at every level in the minor leagues that I ever played at. And those guys had the same kind of chip-on-their-shoulder attitude where we wanted to go out and kick somebody's ass whenever we got out there. That's, I mean, that that's kind of like how I've always conducted myself, and I've been lucky enough to play with guys who fed into that energy. So without being a guy that other guys disliked, okay, because you could go a little too far. Oh, yeah. It was a healthy chip on your shoulder. It Absolutely. was just enough of a chip to give you an edge. Would you say that? Absolutely. If I was going to pull for my team, if I was going to do anything on that field, it was going to be for my guys, not for the people on the other side of the dugout. I didn't want to I didn't want to rile anybody up. But yeah, people would kind of ask me like, hey, is that kid Festa like mean? Is he like, because he seems kind of mean on the field. I'm just like, no, it's just my, my game face. Like, <laughs> and I'm pulling for my guys to do well and beat you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Talk to us about uh, straight from double A, right? So you're in double A mm-hmm. and now give us the, uh, give us the chronology of events that get you to the big leagues. Uh, so this spring training actually started pretty poorly. I was shelved immediately, came in with some, uh, some hip issues and they uh, limited me early. Uh, it's my first invite to big league spring training camp. Uh, I was super excited. And then once I got there, I knew I had something wrong with my, my hip. And so I had to say something. They shut me down and I didn't break with double A at a camp. I uh, showed up to double A about a week in um, and kind of had to earn the trust of my, my manager, Darren Brown out there, who, who was my skip. I, I, I grew with him. I loved him and uh, kind of developed into this closer role after the first couple of weeks. And I kind of just rode with it. 
And um, from then on, I kind of just went out there, try to prove myself, trying to trying to make a name for myself to show that I could do this uh, at this level and above. Um, and I tried my best to prove that I could be a September call-up. Never did I expect to be called up in July when that happened. Right. Um, and the events leading up to it, um, our field coordinator was actually in town. Kind of like you never thought you were going to get drafted in the seventh round. That too. And that we, too. when we had that conversation, you were like, Tommy, can you believe the seventh round? So I was, I was like, like, are you like, kidding me? Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. I'm yeah. going, I'm going 20. <laughs> You're right. Go ahead. All right. Continue. So, um, field coordinator's in town and I'm like, this is another opportunity to impress uh, a higher up, you know, spread the word. So he shows up in town. I throw the ninth inning. I get the save, couple loud outs, like to the warning track smash balls. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Saves a save. It's coming the next day and he's like, oh, I didn't know the fireworks were going to go off in the ninth inning and not after the game. I thought they're supposed to go on after the game. I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go in back-to-back saves the next night. Same team, almost the same hitters. And I struck out the side because I made adjustments after that, after that inning. I was pissed because I didn't want them to make contact, you know? So that happens. The day after that, he mysteriously disappears. And right before practice, um, Skip pulls me in the office with pitching coach. And I thought I was getting traded because, I mean, my GM, Jerry Depoto, loves to deal us. But um, the last couple of guys who got pulled in the office got traded. So I didn't expect to get called up. So I'm in there sweating and Skip kind of led me on. And then he's just <laughs> like, you know what? You're going to meet the team out in Colorado and we're going to see what you got. You see if you're going to make some loud outs in the, in the big leagues. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you serious? And my, my pitching coach had no idea. So he's laughing and I'm laughing. And I'm, I think he's joking. And he just congratulated me and told me he believed in me. And, you know, just don't try and do too much when you get up there. Just have fun, enjoy it and take it all in. And that's what I did. Great. It was awesome. great. It's a great story. Great story. I love it. I just love it. So cool. You said I, I made adjustments. So talk to the pitchers out there. What adjustment did you make? One night, 24 hours, same guys. You remember what you did. You remember what they did. What'd you do? Uh, well, I mean, it just came down to execution at the same time. It wasn't like I tried a different sequence. It was. It's all about executing at the end of the day. At any level, whoever's in the box, whatever you got in your arm, you have to execute that pitch. You can't miss or you're going to get hit and you're going to get hurt. And that's the way it goes. So when it comes down to your belief in your own stuff, if you believe in your execution, that's going to take you as far as it, as, as it can. Give me uh, Matt Festa's scouting report on Matt Festa. Matt Festa's scouting report on Matt Festa. Loves to throw fastballs. And no, that I'm, hasn't changed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to have to tweak myself and be like a, a backwards pitcher when I got there. But you know, I think, I think spinning the ball is overrated. I play hardball. That's what I do. I'm going to come at you. I'm not going to walk you. I'm going to throw strikes. I mean, I still have four pitches, but I only use three of them. Slider, fastball, curveball. And if I get ahead, I'm probably throwing another strike. I'm probably not burying it. I'm probably coming at you with a high heater. That's where I had a lot of success. You know, the whole spin rate area. I don't know what the heck my spin rate is. I just know when I, when I execute that pitch, you're not hitting it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, Andy McKay is uh, an advocate of the Rapsodo, and yes. he's a, he's a technology guy, and and you know he embraces it um, uh, certainly, and and I I I think technology has its place in the game. Um, I think it's like any other tool, 
you don't want it to own you. You want to own it. You want it to work for you. You don't want to work for it. I, I, I kind of always answer, ask this, you know, when a pitcher is worried about his velocity or his spin rate, and I say, how hard would you be throwing? Well, what would your spin rate be if you didn't know what your spin rate was? I think, I think we get so uh, obsessed with the number that we forget about being effective. Like if you had a zero spin rate and nobody could hit the ball, would you try to increase the spin rate? No, <laughs> no. You, I've had plenty of conversations, even with guys new on my team. They'll like show up from free agency and they're like, oh yeah, I mean, my fastball is like 92 and I spin it at like 27 RPMs. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means, but just throw strikes and get outs and you'll have a job. That's the last time I heard. Right. Yeah. If you throw a 65 mile an hour knuckleball that dances around like crazy, you're going to have a 17 year major league career and make a lot of money. Yeah. You throw zeros up on that board, you'll have a job. Right. That's what it comes down to. Right. I, but I, I think, I think because of the, the accessibility of technology, uh, a lot of people are now slaves to the technology. Like it's as if now you can't play the game if you don't know what your spin rate is or you don't know, you know, exactly what your velocity is. And I've had a lot of pitchers who I've said, how do you feel? And they've asked me, how many pitches have I thrown? So now we've programmed a generation of pitchers mm. who literally think they have to give a certain answer based on the number of pitches they've thrown. And to me, that makes no sense. So, I mean, how you feel and how many pitches you threw have nothing to do with each other. You no. could have thrown 2,000 pitches and feel fine. You could have thrown 30 and feel like your arm is falling off. I'm not sure how one has anything to do with the other, except if we've programmed a generation of guys to think, once you're at 92, you better watch out because your arm's going to fall off. Right. That is a message that's pervasive throughout baseball today. Yeah, especially with the younger kids. Absolutely. Even when I was growing up, it started, but now it's gotten old. Now, now it's parents literally with cell phones that have the app. Oh, and they're they're just clicking away mid game. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, and, and they'll run game. on the field. Yeah. <laughs> Take the kid out of the game. He's yeah. throwing like ninety one pitches. He can't throw for another month. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a but I'm 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 surprised. I'm surprised because I know you well, and you're obviously you're a smart kid, but I'm surprised that. And I'm impressed by the Mariners because you're not brainwashed. And I, I kind of thought that maybe everybody is forced to drink the Kool-Aid and you're not. I think that there, I've met a lot of players from other organizations and I would go out, even when I first got to the Mariners, I kind of knew that the Mariners have the Mariner way, but they do allow us to ask why and voice our opinions. Um, they're, they're you think just, that's McKay's college background? I think I think it is. I think it comes with his Northwoods background. I think it comes with just on the side of dealing in the mental skills area before having and being involved with the actual baseball game, the physical part of being a farm director and all that stuff. Um, so they have their their ways and they have their things that they want out of us. You go out of your way to do that for them, and they'll let you. Kind of do your. They'll give thing. you latitude. They'll give you. They'll give you some strength. They'll give you some strength, and you go out and just. If it works, it works. You know, we picked up a couple guys. I will say one of my teammates, just from the Royals, David McKay. This kid was. He basically got released from spring training. He was in short season last year as a starter, throwing eighty eight because the Royals wanted to have him high glove side, vanilla righty over the top. His natural arm slots like low three quarters. Kid pitched the UCF. He comes to the Mariners in spring training. He's blowing 94, 95 down here. Really? Finished the year in double A. Better numbers than me. Amazing kid. He's in the fall league right now. Wow. Watch out for him. Wow. 
Unbelievable. So allowing a guy to kind of be his best himself. We told him, you come to us, throw the way how you threw in college. That's all we want. And he did. Right. Not he, always, not always imagining and creating someone in some image that you have of the perfect pitcher. Right. And I think a lot, I love of teams, that. a lot of teams fall into that trap, which I didn't think still went on. But, you know, I, I guess you don't really know every organization until you get out there and see. But um, so allow, allow a guy to be pers- it's a personalized approach to yeah. development. We are very individualized. We we have a schematic on what we want our guys to do, but we're not a cookie cutter organization. I like that. I, I love that about us. And I think it's going to take us above and beyond and move out of this kind of. Right. I, and I, I, I agree. I, I, I've always, I've said this for the last few years. I think the team that does it differently now is going to really stand out because baseball, as you know, is a big group think game. Mm-hmm. Like once somebody does something, everybody wants to copy it. Oh my God. You know, if you hit with the other end of the bat, everybody will be hitting with the other end of the bat. Oh yeah. You know, hit fly balls. Everyone wants to hit fly ball, hit ground balls. Everyone wants to hit, you have success. Somebody, everybody will copy it. And I think, your geniuses do things differently. They, they're the, you know, Elvis was different and that's why, you know, he's Elvis and you want to be the Beatles. You know, you want to be different than everybody else. You don't want to be doing it the same way because then you kind of just blend in. Um, And I think interesting in these playoffs now, as they get closer and closer to the end, the games look different. They're now playing not small ball. They're playing smart baseball. All of a sudden you see a hyper, and obviously over 162 games, it's very hard for guys to focus, hyper-focus every single game. You just can't do that. I don't care what fans think. It's ridiculous. But but now you really see the focus in, really is hyper-focus on, there's a guy at third. I don't care if you have to hit it with the butt end of the bat, past the pitcher, 58 feet, you know, 63 feet. The pitcher's 60 feet away, hit it 63 feet on the ground and get the run in. Anything you have to do. All of a sudden, all of this macho-ness gets shoved to the side and now it's about, let's win. Right. Any way we can. Right? And, and, and it seems to me like the Mariners are saying, let's get guys out any way we can. Let's get runners in any way we can. Let's get 90 feet any way we can. Yeah. As opposed to, this is how we're going to do it. Come hella high water, I see the iceberg, we're not going to make a left-hand turn because this is the way we're supposed to go straight. Right. Let's go straight, and then you hit the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Oh, Matt Festa. <laughs> <laughs> Does this sound like conversations we had in the dugout? Oh, my God. It's like we just... It's like 2014 again. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. Okay, I want to take you back, all right? I believe I've seen three guys, actually three of the best pitchers I've ever been around, have their coming out parties. Um, Gabe Duran was a kid who played at Dowling, went to the College World Series. Latin kid was fabulous. Uh, out in the Hamptons one night in a playoff game that we lost two to one on an era. Uh, 
he just became a tremendous pitcher. One of the best games I've ever seen a pitcher pitch. Uh, three quarters guy, kind of a chubby Latin kid who threw, you know, high 80s, low 90s, but just dealt. And I mean, he was, he, I don't think he threw a pitch that, first of all, I don't think he threw a straight pitch the whole night. And he, and he literally, it seemed like the game was 45 minutes. Like he was getting the ball back from the catcher and throwing it. It was, it was like, oh, I love that. it was like a game of pepper. Yeah. All right. Then I saw Keith Couch, who I think had a cup of coffee with the Red Sox in the big leagues, at least went to AAA. Uh, up in peak skill, same thing. And Keith was just a tremendous pitcher, a Delphi kid. And then I saw one other, and it was you. And I know the night, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, in 2014, um, we we went to the championship game and lost in the ACBL. Yeah, That was a lot of fun. Uh, that was a team that that played beyond its ability. I mean, it, it was better than the sum of its parts, right? Absolutely. Better than the sum of its parts. Uh, and you had a lot to do with that. Uh, it was Allentown. Mm. Um, it was the semifinal game, which we were playing a team that was better than we were. Allentown was a better team. Yeah, yeah they were stacked. Yeah, but uh, baseball's a funny game. If the guy 60 feet, six inches is really good, you are going to beat any almost any team. Yeah. Right? That night at Allentown, it's an old minor league ballpark, really old. And the manager is able to sit in a seat that's only about 40 feet from home plate. I mean, it's a dangerous seat, but <laughs> yeah. it's only about 40 feet from home plate. <laughs> and it was a night game, and uh, the game started, and... I remember, I remember, I guess it was, was it Greg Del George was, uh, was coaching with yeah, us? Yeah, Del George was still with us. Right, yeah. he's still with us. And I remember saying to Greg, man, ball looks live tonight. Like, you, you were just, you were free and easy. And sure enough, like that night, I saw a guy who, now, I mean, I don't need the radar gun. I've been around long enough. I can tell you what velocity, you know, you were at, you know, high 80s, low 90s. And all of a sudden, like, it was 93, it was 94. And I got to tell you, I don't think you threw a pitch above the belt. And if you did, you didn't throw two above the belt. And it was another one of those games where it was bottom of the knees, bottom of the knees, bottom of the knees, and just one strike after the next, pouring the ball over. And it was noticeable enough for me to say, this kid's a different pitcher now. It wasn't that it was your best game, even though it was your best game. You were pitching differently. You were now... Something had changed. You had gotten to a plateau now and punched your way through. And I, I wasn't so prescient as to think he's going to be a major league pitcher because who knows what the hell's going to happen. But I knew that night you had become a different pitcher. Talk to me about that night. Do you remember it as vividly as I do? I do. And I've, there's parts, there's parts that I remember more vividly because obviously before the game, I'm in all, I'm in my head, I'm in my kitchen, like going over, you know, Pitchers are nuts. We're nuts. I'll go through like dry work mechanics hours before games in my kitchen with my coffee. And I remember kind of like clicking, something clicking in the way like just my my rhythm was. And I was like, all right, this feels good. And then when I got out there and I'm warming up with Giacus out there and the ball's just jumping out and I don't have to think. And I'm like, I'm going to shove it down these guys' throats tonight. I know it. And I went out there and I think there was, I remember just being in complete control. But there was one moment, I think it was like a bleeder single. It was the shortest guy on the team. He blew up, dropped one in and he's like fist pumps on first base, like all trying to get the team riled up and they haven't been getting shut out. And I look over and I'm just like, all right, screw this kid. And then I just bap, 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 strike out, strike out, strike out. And I mean, I felt the most control I had that summer. That's That, that was the most control I had. I mean, that was just, I, I, and then that's why everything that came out. And then when you won, I said, you know what? 
when you went to the Coastal Plains League and you won, I said, you know, I, I like this. This is good. This kid. And, and all I was hoping, obviously, is what I hope for any kid. Um, I was just hoping that you got the opportunity. And then seventh round, I'm like, okay, now somebody sees something that I saw. Now, I, I didn't, I, you know, seventh round is, oh my God, we both said the same thing. I know, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> seventh round. So you sure uh, you know who you're calling for now? <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll take it. Um, and and then the progression through the minor leagues, and, and, and now you're big league. But that, that, that night, I get goosebumps because I could see the ball just exploding out of your hand. And it was like, and I, I remember Jack is like the glove was, Wherever he put the glove, the ball was there, and it, it was it was just an exercise in in virtuosity that I knew meant that you were now a different pitcher. Tell a young Matt Festa, uh, now that you are a big leaguer, what you wasted some anxiety on as a young pitcher. Oh, that's easy. Uh, thinking that you had to be in one of these big programs with one of these big names, and everyone knew your name. Like I always like looked. I was always the guy looking over the fence on the grass is green on the other side. You know, I wanted to be, that's natural. I wanted to be the D one guy. I wanted this. I sure. wanted that. And that kind of helped push me going like, I want to get there. I want to do this. I want to be one of these guys. I want to live this life. And if I had to tell myself not to worry about that, that would probably be the only thing I would tell myself and, and probably start lifting weights a little bit earlier. I was a little string bean back then. Well, I don't know if you were a string bean. You, you always had a good frame. You always had a good frame. I, 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 I could see, but I, you know, I, I kind of thought that would be wh- where you would go that that kind of envy for other programs maybe made you have some anxiety that you really didn't need to have. Yeah. You know, you, you're like, you're talking to all these kids and like, Oh, I'm committed here and I play here. And I'm just like, all right, well I go to East Stroudsburg university. You know, I love my program. I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, would I like to be on TV? Would I like to be at a D one program? Of course I would, but you know, I'm going to make do with what I got. And that just made me want it more. And it, it made the grind even more fun. Then maybe you also don't pitch at the top of the rotation and you don't get as many outings. You don't get as many innings and rather maybe be, absolutely, you'd rather be a big fish in a small pond. Right. Right. So, so in the social media world, right, which is crazy. I mean, it really is. You, you, you go, let's face it. You go on Twitter, like any guy that even can spell baseball is now like the director of some program yeah. <laughs> who has like a philosophy. So where it's even more difficult now for kids because so much, there is no more privacy. You know, a guy gets, a guy goes to some school and he gets like 600 different, you know, pieces of gear and that gets put on social media or they build a new $17 million stadium at some school and that's put on social media. So it even more impacts young people, young Matt Festas. What do you say to those kids who have even more pressure on them and are even more jaded about geez, I'm only going to a division two. I'm only going to a Delphi and all we have is a nice turf field, but yeah. we don't have, you know, we don't get six pairs of turf shoes and travel suits and Nike doesn't sponsor us. What do you say to them? I mean, I, I would say, I would just say the same message. It's like, you don't, you really don't need it. And now experiencing it, guys in the minor leagues, they don't, they don't have that. Guys, I, I guys I play with, who went to University of Oregon, they went to UW, they did USC, all these SEC, Big 12 schools. They have severely, severely downgraded. You know, it, minor league is a grind. You ride a bus everywhere. You don't fly. There's no charter flights. There's no. There's no tons of gear. You know, you're grinding in the middle of nowhere. 
So you want to you want to you want to make it to the majors? You better get ready to grind in the minors. If you remember in 2014, I was doing double duty. I was at the Mets with uh, yes. With, right, okay, so I'll, I'll never forget this. It's the story is so perfectly germane right now. Now that you said that about the minor leagues, so we're, I'm in a clubhouse, and something ha- always happens for a reason. And I'm just at this moment, I'm going through the clubhouse, and Tyler Moore, who's an infielder, a catcher at uh, LSU comes in, he had just signed and he's with the clubhouse guy and he's with the general manager or whatever. And it just so happens I'm in the clubhouse and he has his LSU bag and we were going to make him a second baseman. So Edgardo Alfonso and I were going to work with him a little bit, whatever. Okay. So in that moment, I see he's got the LSU bag and the LSU bag looks like it's got to be like a $1,200 bag. The oh. thing is gigantic. It's embroidered. It's got the tiger on. So the clubhouse guy, he puts his bag down, right? his LSU bag, and the clubhouse guy gives him the Met bag, which looks like, basically, like the old green burlap bag the guy used to carry the bases in when yes. you were like 12. Yeah. Okay, And he throws <laughs> it on the floor and it like collapses. And I look at this poor kid and the look on his face is like, what? Mm-hmm. That's what we get? Uh, maybe you don't, maybe maybe nobody told you. I'm from LSU. Yeah. Um, this is how it's, and it was like, welcome to the minor leagues. Yes. This is the way it is, partner. This is not LSU. It is a huge step down, which is why I think so many Latin American kids thrive in the minor leagues because they don't come from LSU. Oh, my God. No, they love it. <laughs> exactly. They go, this is amazing. I could order Domino's pizza right. anytime I want. Exactly. They, they go exactly. nuts. Exactly. Exactly. They come from abject poverty in Latin America. And now, what are you kidding me? I can hang out here all day long and eat and play baseball. This is the greatest thing in the world. Whereas our guys, you come from LSU, you might not see that kind of treatment until you get to the big leagues, if you get to the big leagues. Right, absolutely. And I have I have actually told myself, I've had that conversation in my own head. You know, I just like, I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, yeah, this stuff doesn't bother me because I know my buddy who went to Oklahoma State is over there kicking his feet because he's like, this isn't what I'm used to. But I'm like, this is an upgrade. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. you, right. You, For me, you it's the that, same thing. That's, that's one of the things I think that is missing is that healthy dose of desperation and coming from meager beginnings. So in fact, looking back, and I, I, I do this a lot, you know, the postmortem is maybe you were better off not going to a big school. Absolutely. Because you're more grateful. And, and, and you were one of yeah. the most grateful guys. There was another thing I really, really admired about you. And I always wanted to tell you this. I think, be, I think gratitude is one of the key elements in development. Because if you have gratitude, if you're grateful, you're humble. If you're humble, you can learn. And you always came to the ballpark every day just grateful to be in uniform. And a lot of guys who pitch on the day they don't pitch, they either don't show up or they have an excuse, you know, whose grandmother died six times in one mm, summer. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Right? You know, the text, uh, you know, my, my grandmother's car broke down. Yeah, just what every 19-year-old does, takes his grandmother. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I mean, I, I really do remember how grateful you are. And that's why I'm so thrilled that 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 you're, you're a big leaguer now and, and, and you've, you know, you've had this dream come true. Um, tell us, uh, going forward now, you're going to head off to Arizona. Yeah. Um, tell us this, first of all, at the big league level, what's, what's the greatest myth about how to get guys out at the highest level that pitchers think maybe younger pitchers think I have to be able to do this in order to get big league hitters out. Do you have to throw like ungodly breaking balls? You don't have to throw like, you don't have to throw godly breaking balls to get like these hitters out. Like, especially my first two outings, I can distinctly remember just being on the mound and seeing these guys swing and foul pitches off. And it's just like their swings are finely, finely tuned to hit 
anything at 95 miles an hour, 450 feet. And if you throw anything that looks exactly like your 95 mile per hour heater and it kind of just wrinkles a little bit, that's all you want. You just want to miss the barrel because they're, I pitch against the Dodgers and the Rockies, two very high launch angle lineups. Right, right, so right, right. they're trying to jack the ball. I'm just trying to miss a barrel. And I, that's kind of how I, I fell into my first two outings. You know, it was a lot of ground balls, a lot of pop-ups. It was a lot of strikeouts. Um, but these guys are just, they don't miss the fastball. Right. They don't miss the fastball when it's like 95. But if you can execute something in the low 90s and have a little movement on it, you're going to be successful in this game. I watched it happen day in and day out. Marco Gonzalez, Wade LeBlanc, Erasmo Ramirez. We don't have overpowering pitchers except for Eddie Diaz, Alex Colome, and James Paxson. You know, we had guys who just had great stuff and they executed it and they believed in it and they put meaning behind every pitch. Who's your favorite pitcher in the big leagues? Who's my favorite pitcher in the big leagues? Oh, got it. You, I got it. You, you have to watch. If you know he's pitching, Luis Severino. Absolutely. I want to, I, I need to see it. I love his energy on the mound and I love that he is a power pitcher, but he's not a methodical power pitcher where he just, he wants the ball back immediately. Give me the ball back, get back on the mound, give me the next pitch. And that's what I'm all about. And I love that. Back in the day, Andy Pettit. Same, same kind of aggressive mentality, talks to himself in the mound like a psycho. I love that. Who's the hitter? I love it, man. It's so great. Who's the hitter? You say, oh, man. Sheesh. This guy? Oh. Uh, right now, I would probably say Mookie Betts. He's tough. Oh, my. I, I was thinking Mookie Betts. Mookie, Mookie, Mookie He's Betts. He's so tough. I've never seen a guy just handle like up and in. Fastballs at like 96. He covers every. He does cover and like everything. a 3-2 count. Right, right. 2-2 count. Like you got to look at like as you get deeper into the game, I'm sure you do it too. But like I can't sit and watch a baseball game with a normal fan because they're like, oh, the ball's right down the middle. Or why do you throw this pitch? And I'm like, did you look at the count? What right, were the pitches right, before yeah. that? And I'm watching Mookie, Mookie's at bats. It's like 1-2-2-2. Two, 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 and like he's just like sitting dead slider. And I'm like, what, what are these people looking for? I don't understand this. Because yeah. those guys at those levels, they're setting you up. Right, it's a they're, chess game. They're setting you up. Yep. I mean, you're trying to set them up, but the really, really good ones, they know what they're doing up there. He's he's ready. He's the readiest hitter I've seen in a long time. Like I say to my hitters, man, you got to be ready to hit. Mm-hmm. You got to be ready, and I mean ready in a real sense. Like it's got to be hit, 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 take. He looks like he's ready to hit everything, and then he stops himself from hitting. That is really an essential way to like. He covers the whole plate too. Yes, breaking ball, fast, whatever it is, he's on. Everything. Yeah. I, what a player. What a, what a, that's, I like that mentality too. I mean, a lot of hitters, you you don't see it until you like play the best of the best and it's it's hit, 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 hit the whole way. And then all of a sudden absolutely. it's like take. And like, who cares what you look like when you're taking a ball? But you saw that he was ready to crush that if that was a heater. Like, oh my God. And you're now you're thinking about it. Right. It's, that's that's the way to think. It's it's like fire the fire, you're ready to fire, ready to fire, hold off. Yeah, not slam the brakes. I'm gonna decide, I'm gonna decide when to hit. Mm-hmm. What is that about? By yeah. that time, the bulls, it's a you you you're out. You yeah. strike three. Um okay, I want to play a little game that we've played with everybody cool. lately. All right, a lot of fun. It's called quick pitch, which I'm sure you do. Mm. Uh, <laughs> knowing you, you cheating bastard. <laughs> my kind of guy. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts, you know, whatever. Gotcha. And then you're going to say, All right. Okay. All right. Favorite food? Pasta. Any kind of pasta? Spaghetti meatballs. All right. By my father. <laughs> Favorite movie? That's my boy, Adam Sandler. <laughs> very, very childish. 
<laughs> Only a big leaguer would have that. <laughs> my God, it's terrible, terrible oh my taste. God. Uh, give me, now, not related to you, okay? Okay. And not alive, which, not mean, alive. which means they're dead. Okay. Three dinner guests. Three dinner guests, not related to me, not alive. Ooh, okay, okay. Um, well, this is tough. That's why I'm the manager. This know. is true. This is true. Okay. Um, let's go. Babe Ruth, obviously. Got to have Babe in there. This is probably going to end up being three Yankees, honestly. It's all right. Um, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. Need to hear from them. And then let's mix in a celebrity like... Um, James Dean. Wow. All I hear is all these great stories about James Dean. You know, icon. I want to meet him. Okay. That's a good one. That's out of left field. Yeah. That's definitely out of left field. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap it up. Right. But you're such a good guest. Okay. Right. And such a good pal that we got to have you back. Of course. You're going to be back. Uh, I'm actually going out to Arizona. You got your four mom, uh, Sweatshirt on. Going already. out to see Hunter and a couple other guys from Arizona State, Gage Workman, Randy Bishop, my wife's stepmom. I'm going to play some golf. I'm going to wear out Hunter Bishop on the golf course. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll have you back. As soon as you get back, you'll come back in um, and uh, tell Andy McKay I'm available anytime he wants to like chat. You know, you really, uh, well, I'll give him, I'll give him his number right now. You should. You, want it? you, should, well, you got to give him my number. <laughs> you call you got, him up? You got, him on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a free agent. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm ready to go. Um, so, uh, Matt Festa, big leaguer, dear friend, great Staten Island Tide kid, great Staten Island kid. Uh, I can't tell you how happy I am to see, you know, everything that's happened to you. No one deserves it more than you do. Um, you know, I love you and, uh, Whatever you need, I'm always here for you, Pat. Thank you so much, Tommy. Love you, man. All right. This so awesome. we are going to wrap it up. We're going to have Matt back again. Let's wish him well as he goes and trains out in Arizona. Um, this is The Conversation with Tommy Webb. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you again. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at Tommy Weber B-Ball or Instagram at Tommy Weber Baseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.